Thanks, Adam and Misha. It's so good to have you with us. Thanks. Well, as many of you know, um, my mother is Jewish. She was raised primarily in Chattanooga, Tennessee. And when she was growing up, the best school in town happened to be a Christian prep school. So that's where her parents sent her to uh, high school. And while she was there, she memorized large portions of the New Testament. After high school, she went to Wellesley, which is a college up near Boston. And while she was there, she developed some warts on her fingers. And when the medical uh, treatment didn't work, uh, she remembered from the scripture she had memorized that there is power in the name of Jesus. And so she prayed in Jesus' name that, these, that God would remove these warts. And in just a few weeks, that's what happened. And that got her attention. She graduated from Wellesley, moved back to Chattanooga. A friend invited her to church, and she began uh, studying the Bible with her pastor, seeking to understand who Jesus is, what Jesus had to offer her. When her family's rabbi heard that, that um, my mother was, was exploring Christianity, he met with her and tried to dissuade her not to do that. But her mind was made up. And so she kept studying the Bible. She eventually came to Christ, and she started walking with him. And when she asked the pastor about being baptized, he invited her into his office, and he told her, he said, you just need to know that someone has called the church. And to this day, my 92-year-old mom has no idea who it was, but somebody called the church and told, uh, told the pastor, said that if Nancy makes a public profession of faith, it will kill her parents. Uh, her, her dad was a prominent Jewish man in, in Chattanooga, and the idea, in this person's opinion, that if mom made a public profession of faith, it would just be too much for him, for him to handle. And the person asked this question, why can't she be a private Christian? This is mom's response in her own words. She said, Jesus is my savior, and I don't think that he would allow anything to happen to my parents that would dishonor his name. She really believed that God was sovereign over her family, her family dynamics. And so she came to Christ. Uh, her parents, she was baptized. Her parents didn't attend her baptism, but eventually they became supportive of this life that she had following Christ. I tell the story to, to just say that she entered the Christian life realizing that opposition and strife within her own family were a real possibility. In today's passage, that's what Jesus tells his disciples. If you follow me, if you are my disciples, uh, it will bring a sword into your family. This Advent season, we're looking at these four, four of these statements that Jesus made about why he came. Last week we saw, he said, I came to seek and save the lost. Today we're going to look at the uh, statement that Adam read earlier, I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. And some of you, when you hear this topic, you're like, that's me, I'm experiencing that. And if you're right in the middle of this, then you're experiencing opposition in your family because of your your love for Jesus, and there's an obvious relevance. If that's not you, uh, don't check out. There's relevance here for everybody. I promise you, if you're a follower of Christ, this is very, very relevant for you. So I hope you lock in on that this morning. 
Matthew 10, 34 through 39, I came to bring a sword. If you read the earlier part of Matthew, you see that Jesus sent out his disciples and he said, when you go through the, the villages and the towns in, in Israel, you will experience opposition. Sometimes you're just going to have to dust the, the to shake the dust off your feet and go to another place. Here he tells them that the opposition will also be in their own families. This is very counterintuitive. We've been singing about God bringing peace, Jesus, the Prince of Peace. But here we go. Jesus said, do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. This time of year, we often read Isaiah 9, 6, which uh, speaks of the future Messiah, whose name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. In what sense did the Prince of Peace say, I did not come to bring peace, but a sword? And we think of Jesus' own teaching in uh, the Beatitudes, for example. He said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. You are blessed if you uh, try to make peace between individuals and between groups of people. If you do, people will recognize you as being the offspring of God. You'll have the family resemblance in that way. And so in light of these and other scriptures which associate Jesus with peace, in what sense does he say, I did not come to bring peace, but a sword? Well, when we come to passages like this, we give the author the benefit of the doubt. Uh, we, don't, we assume that this is not a blatant contradiction that Luke didn't catch, okay? We settle in, we keep reading, we go deeper, and we try to discern, okay, Jesus, what are we saying? If, what are you saying? If, when we do that, that's when we get to the really good stuff, okay? So we keep reading. Verse 35 he said, for I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a person's enemies will be those of his own household. As we move through this passage, it's going to be clear that Jesus is talking about the strife that is sometimes unavoidable when some people within a family are his disciples and others are not. Jesus is speaking about the fallout or the consequences of following him. And Jesus is quoting from Micah 7, 6, the Old Testament prophet Micah in verses 35 and 36. And in Micah 7, the prophet describes how family relationships in Israel in that day were full of sin and strife. Jesus says the same dynamics are going to be at play when you come to, to, to be my disciples. You will find this strife within your own family between father and son, mother and daughter, daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. And of course, Jesus isn't saying, this is my highest priority that you have strife in your families. No, but it's a, it's a consequence. The, the logic here is that since Jesus came to bring eternal life to people and came to, to radically reorient people's lives by being born from above, it's just the, the natural consequence that when that, ha that happens, the fallout in your families will many times be strife and opposition. Many of you knew uh, Gene Herman. Uh, he passed away about eight years ago. 
And several years before he, he passed away, he told me about the sword that God brought into his family. Uh, he was part of the family business in Wamigo. They drilled water, water wells. And Gene worked with his dad, but in 1961, Gene came to the place in his life where he submitted every area of his life to the lordship of Jesus Christ. And he said when that, that happened, that immediately there were positive changes for his marriage and for his parenting. But the, op the opposite was the case when it came to his relationship with his dad. And in his own words, he talked about this very freely, so I'm not sharing confidences here, but, but he talked about it very freely. And this is what he wrote. He said, my relationship with my dad was different because my earthly father was telling me to do things that my heavenly father would not want me to do in ethics and in business. <clears throat> dad would say something that wasn't so, and I knew it wasn't, and I couldn't go along like I had before. This put some rough edges on our relationship. It started out kind of mild, you know, and I could kind of pacify him, but as, but as he had less and less control over me, the tension began to build. And eventually, Gene said that the things got so contentious that he, he had to quit the family business. At great personal loss to himself, he just had to make a separation, and for four years, he, he didn't even speak with his father. They reconciled uh, years later, but, but he experienced what Jesus describes in Matthew 10, I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. That was the natural consequence of Gene seeking to please his heavenly father. And that's a very common experience. Uh, sometimes what we find is that you have a family that's it's dysfunctional in many ways, but there's equilibrium. Everybody knows what you can and can't say, what you can and can't do, and then one or more persons come to Christ, and they don't play by those rules anymore. Uh, they have a different, different priorities, different ways of thinking and speaking and acting. And sometimes that person's spiritual health will upset the equilibrium, and it brings conflict within the family. Not, it's not that it's intended, it's just the natural consequence. And when that happens, sometimes you can wonder, is it really worth it to walk with Jesus? Is it worth it, worth it to experience this strife? Or maybe I should just be a stealth Christian, just fly under the radar, and just everything will be fine. Well, in verses 37 through 39, Jesus confirms that loving him supremely is hard, but that it's also worth it. Verse 37, he says, Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And Jesus taught you should love your father and mother. You should honor father and mother. You should love your brothers and sisters. You should even love your enemies. But he says, disciples must love him supremely. If you love anyone or anything more than Jesus, he says, you're not worthy of me. You're not fit to be my disciple. And that's not because Jesus is needy and he needs the attention. It's not because he's being demanding. It's because he is Lord. He is the Lord of all creation. Therefore, he deserves to be loved supremely, more than your father and your mother, more than your kids. And Jesus says, you, you have to get that. 
if you want to be my disciple. And as some of you know all too well, when your father or mother or your son or daughter finds out that you love Jesus more than them, it can be very, very threatening. And sometimes what, what people don't understand is that when you love Jesus supremely, that you love them best. When you love him most, you love, him, you love them best. It's when you keep the first commandment that you're able to keep the second commandment. When you love God with all your heart, then you're able to love your neighbor as yourself. And that plays out. If people will let you, they, that will play out, and they will see that that's the case. You know, ideally, every member of your family loves Jesus supremely. And if that is the case in your family, I hope you know how blessed you are, okay? That is no small thing. Uh, it doesn't mean everything's perfect in your family. It doesn't mean it's always easy. But that is the blessing of God. When that is not the case, you will experience Jesus bringing a sword. Continue, verse 38. And whoever does not take his, take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. F.F. Bruce famously made the statement, he said, when you saw somebody carrying a cross, they were on a one-way trip. You knew they would not be back. Like Jesus carrying the cross beam on his back, Everybody knew he was on a one-way trip. He was going to be crucified outside the city limits. And so carrying your cross is not just bearing up under burdens. It means dying, dying to self, saying no to self so that you say yes to Jesus. You're saying no to yourself because, because loving Jesus supremely is worth it. He is Lord, therefore we submit to him as Lord. You actually lose your life, Jesus said, you find it. And so if you come to Christ and you become his disciple, it doesn't mean you're going to have this drab, boring, sad life. No, the person who loses their life for Jesus' sake really starts living. That's the life every single one of us wants, whether we realize it or not. And that person eventually concludes, you know, it's hard. I've sacrificed, but it was nothing in light of the fact of what I've gained in Christ. In this past week, as I've pondered this passage, numerous ones of you have come, come to, to mind. You, you have experienced this. You've experienced this sword in your family because of your devotion to Jesus. And I want you to know that Jesus taught what he did about bringing a sword because he wants you to know that he knows what you're going through. He wants you to know that he knows what it's like to have a sword in your family. And that was his case, right? His brothers, his mother during his earthly life, they didn't understand him. They thought he was crazy at times. The people in his hometown, one occasion they wanted to throw him off a cliff, okay? And so Jesus understood what he's talking about when he said this to his disciples. If that's you, you're experiencing that type of, of opposition. You're experiencing the fellowship of his suffering. You are fellowshipping and you're having a fellowship with Christ. Your suffering is akin 
to his suffering. And there should be comfort in that. And that should also give you courage. Well, in our remaining time, I want us to consider two implications of Jesus' teaching here. <clears throat> Actually, one of them is a, a non-implication, if that's even a thing, and the other is an implication. <clears throat> First of all, Jesus' statement does not imply that every conflict we face in our families is because of our love for Jesus. And so what we're talking about today doesn't explain everything you might be experiencing in your family. If there's a difficulty, oh, it's because you love Jesus and your, your parents don't. No, it's, it's not that simple. Uh, even if you have a husband and wife that both love Jesus, it will be hard sometimes. Even if parents and children both love Jesus, there will be normal family dynamics that are hard to work out, things to work through. Everybody needs the, the fruit of the Spirit in all these situations. And we could apply, apply this in a number of different contexts, but given that we're here in Manhattan, Kansas, and the demographics of uh, this church, I'd like to address uh, how this applies to college students or college-aged students. I'm thinking about just young adults in, in general, and then with parents of college-aged people. So if you're a college student and you have started walking with Christ uh, since you've been at K-State or MCC or MATC, uh, I just, just want to remind you that not all the resistance, not all the conflict you find with your parents is because of your love for Jesus. That, that's not uh, the sum total of it. And so I would encourage you to honor your father and mother. And I don't know your parents, and your parents may not be great parents, but I will just say, generally speaking, uh, parents sacrifice for their kids more than you can imagine. I mean, for decades, they pour out their lives for you. They sacrifice things that you may never even know about. And so I would encourage you to, to be gracious and humble in the way that you Talk to your parents the way you treat your parents. As, as we have these flashbacks to when I first came to Christ, and I just cringe at some of the things I said to my parents and to some of the, the attitudes that I had toward my parents. If I would rewind the clock, I would say, honor your father and mother. Be humble toward them. Um, be open to the possibility that they are smarter than you on almost every topic that exists out there, okay? Just be humble toward your parents. And to those of us who are parents, I would simply say, think back to when you were 18 years old. Think back to when you were 19 or 20. It's a very humbling experience for many of us, the way we thought, the things we said and did. And so just, just be gracious to your children. It's hard growing up. It's hard to find your way. And if you're kids have started following Christ or your kids are learning to follow Christ. I mean, they just need tons of grace. It doesn't mean they don't need truth, but uh, many times what God is doing in our kids' lives, it doesn't fit our preconceived notions of how we thought it would happen. Your kids may be going through tough, tough things right now, and that may be God's curriculum for them. That may be what they need in order for him to get them 
where they need to go. And so again, God can be trusted to lead our children into the future. This doesn't eliminate every, every problem, but it does provide a perspective to help us navigate these waters. Well, having said all of that, there will be times when the strife in a family is because only some people, not all, are following Jesus. And so here's the, the other implication that we need to understand very clearly. Jesus' statement demands that we, as a church, all of us, live out our calling as a spiritual family. Jesus doesn't bring a sword into a family of a disciple and then abandon that person to the world. No, he provides a family, a spiritual family for them. Spiritual fathers and mothers, brothers and sisters. That's what we need to take seriously. If we keep reading in Matthew, in Matthew 12, we come across this account, 1246. While Jesus was still speaking to the people, behold, his mother and his brothers stood outside asking to speak to him. But he replied to the man who told him, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. And so it turns out that everybody who does the will of God, in other words, everybody who's a disciple of Jesus constitutes a spiritual family. When Paul wrote to Timothy in 1 Timothy 3.15, he referred to the church at Ephesus as a household of God. And so that's a reality. We are that. We're not supposed to pretend like we're that or try to convince ourselves and act like we are. We are a spiritual family. We need to take that seriously. And so every single believer needs this. Every single believer needs brothers and sisters, fathers and mothers in the faith. Perhaps those who have come from a situation where Jesus has brought a sword into their families, perhaps they need to experience brothers and sisters, fathers and mothers in, in a more intense and sometimes in a more urgent way simply for their spiritual survival. And so having brothers and sisters, fathers and mothers in the, in the body of Christ, it's not icing on the cake. It's essential. This is God's plan for the church. And so again, this, this challenge applies to all of us, but I want to make a, a, a challenge to those of us who are a bit older. And here I'm thinking about those of us in our 30s and 40s and 50s and 60s, I'm trying not to make eye contact here, and 70s. <laughs> and those of us in our 80s, there is a role for us to be spiritual fathers and mothers to others here in this body. I've wandered into a number of these relationships over, over the years. It's probably about 12 or 15 years ago now. A college student named Thomas came up after, after church one day and said, Hey, Steve, I wonder, if, I wonder if you would mentor me. I'm like, okay, let's talk about it. And He said, well, just so you know, I don't, I don't want to just go to Starbucks once a week with you. I want to come to your house and have a meal with your family once a week. And then I want to hang out with you and your, and your family afterward. And I'm like, uh, I, I'm going to need to check on that with my wife 
that's a big ask you're bringing to me here. And so I'm like, okay, it was bold, right? So when I talked to Brenda, and she actually she was up for that. And so for almost two years, Thomas came over to our to our family. In the, he was gone in the summers, but in spring and fall semester, he came over to our house. He ate at our table. He got to know our kids. And then we hung out afterwards. He and I would go to the basement. We'd read scripture and we'd talk about it. Eventually, I'd have to say, Thomas, it's time for you to leave now. I'm, I'm old. I need to get ready for bed. And said, so, okay, yeah, it was just all fine. I can't tell you, that was so great for me. It was good for him. It was great for me. And many of you have had this same experience. And so my question to us as, as a church is, if those of us who are older, if we're not spiritual fathers and mothers, how, how are the upcoming generations going to learn all these things that they absolutely need to know? I mean, it's good that we teach these things, but they need to see people living out, this is how it looks being single and walking with God. This is what it means to have a Christian marriage. So many people come to Christ have never seen a Christian marriage. Need to see firsthand what it looks like. This is what it looks like for Christians to serve the Lord in the workplace, to serve God through their money. And I just say, if they don't learn it from us, who are they going to learn it from? And, and most of us just say, well, I don't know if I'm qualified for that. And you may not be. Honestly, not, not everybody, is, you know, maybe should do this. But many of us should do this. Sometimes we're able to pair people with a mentor who they come to. We have a steady stream of upcoming generations say, I'm looking for someone older to befriend me and mentor me. But most often it happens in the normal flow of church life. You meet somebody on Sunday morning, you, get, you find out their name, you get to know them. God brings this relationship together. It happens in groups. It happens in, in a lot of different ways. Keep your eyes open. Invite God to show you, does he want me to be a spiritual father or mother to someone else? Because Jesus came to bring a sword, we have to live out our calling as a spiritual family. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would lead us in these things. We pray that we might be a church that embodies this teaching, that we would uh, have the type of relationships where the uh, older generations and the younger uh, have relationships, healthy relationships, and where there's this mutual, uh, the mutual one another's, but also there's an imparting and a, a building into the younger generations. And so, God, would you lead us in these things? We need your grace. We need your discernment and your wisdom. I pray for anybody here today who's experiencing this sword in their family, and it's just tough. I pray you would give them perseverance. I pray that you would come alongside them in very tangible ways. God, may we uh, be the body of Christ that you have called us to be. In Jesus' name, amen.